0: Welcome to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church. For more information on Sherwood or Pastor Michael Catt, visit our website at SherwoodBaptist.net. And now, here's Pastor Michael Cat. We're in Galatians chapter 5. I, I grew up, my teenage years in the 60s, and... Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Terry and I were watching a documentary on the Monterey Pop Festival in 1967, uh, which was sponsored and by the mamas and the papas, and they had groups like the Association and people like that, and then they invited these new artists in. Uh, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, The Who, people like that, and <clears throat> the guy who wrote the book on the Summer of Love said... At the Monterey Pop Festival, the kings were dethroned, and new kings rose up on the scene. The Monterey Pop Festival was the uh, breaking out of the summer of love, which lasted for about a year through Woodstock, where sex, drugs, and rock and roll took on a whole new meaning. And basically, we acted like heathens and did it in the name of free love and make love and not war and anti-culture anti-Vietnam and the reality is we've been living with that ever since and uh, we are all affected by the lack of restraints by the lack of understanding that there is moral authority by the lack of understanding that there are boundaries by which we are to act and boundaries by which we are to live But in the expression of free love and under the influence of LSD and a lot of other things, and Timothy Leary and a lot of the other gurus of that time, our culture began to be, quote-unquote, enlightened. Uh, I would redefine it and say we began to be darkened even more. I wasn't saved in those years. I thought all of that was pretty cool. Uh, Looking at it on this side of the cross... I realized how many friends I lost in the process. Guys and gals that grew up in church but didn't see any power, didn't see anything of the Holy Spirit in a church, and they finally found something that looked like an expression worth giving their lives to, and they gave it, and some of them are dead today. There's not much difference today between what happens inside the church and what happens outside the church. Since the days of the PTL scandal and since the days of all the other scandals that go on in the Christian community and the downfall of people and um, what happens in church under the name of church is sometimes embarrassing and and quite honestly frightening Uh, in the name of us being free. And the church needs to be distinctively different. That doesn't mean weird. But freedom doesn't mean I can live and act and do whatever I want to to do. Because John 8, 4 says, truly, truly, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. When I'm committing sin, habitual action, committing sin, I am a slave to sin. Now, let me tell you what the difference is between the church and the early church in Acts, Acts chapter 2. Somebody says, what kind of church do you want to be? An Acts 2 church. That's the kind of church we ought to pray to be, an Acts 2 church. Because that was the church in its purest form. The church in its purest form, fellowshiped with one another, served one another, gave sacrificially, shared the gospel on a daily basis, discipled new believers. The church in its purest form acted like the body of Christ functioning in this world. When sin came into the church, it was dealt with. And I mean, it was dealt with harshly because they knew that sin had to be dealt with or it would corrupt and defile the body. Here's the difference between the church in America in the 21st century and the church in the book of Acts. We don't know how to blush anymore. Nothing embarrasses us. Nothing shocks us. Nothing disturbs us. There's nothing we ever get ashamed of. We don't know how to blush anymore. We've come a long way. You know, we're, we're the church that makes movies. I want to tell you something. In our culture, we've come a long way from Gone with the Wind where one word shocked a nation. And now we watch movies that just are constantly using language that's offensive, and it just kind of goes over our head, and we say, that, that doesn't even affect me. But it should. It should affect me. It should affect you. Galatians 5, 13, for you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another for the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. While legalism says, I, I satisfy myself by adhering to rules and to laws license says, I satisfy myself by throwing out the rules. Let me give you a principle that you need to write down. The work of grace does not alter God's moral laws. The work of grace does not alter God's moral laws or His demands for holiness. The work of grace does not alter God's moral laws or His demands for holiness, He says we're to be holy. Why? Because he is holy. And, and so there's the danger of license going unchecked. Real freedom is not freedom from, it is freedom for. I'm not freed from God's restraints. I'm freed to live for God. Under the boundaries that he sets for me and we find freedom when we find christ and we lose our freedom When we lose our focus on christ to obey god is perfect liberty if I don't have obedience Then I go unrestrained and unaccountable Do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh or don't let your liberty become an excuse for indulging your flesh I heard somebody say this years ago, and it's just kind of a part of what rolls in my mind at times like this. When God says, thou shalt not, here's what he's saying. Don't hurt yourself. When God says, thou shalt, he's saying, help yourself to life as I intended it. So when God says don't do something, it's not because he's a cosmic killjoy trying to ruin our lives and keep us miserable. He's trying to say when you do that, you're going to hurt yourself. There are going to be negative consequences that come into your life that you may not even realize at the moment, but they're going to show up over time. But when he says thou shalt, he said, here's the life I have for you. Here's what I want you to have. Here's the way I want you to live. Here's the life that I intended for you to have. Help yourself to it. There's a long quote by Vance Havner. When I see a bird that looks like a duck, quacks like a duck, has webbed feet like a duck, paddles in water like a duck, and prefers the company of ducks, it's hard for me to resist the conclusion that it must be a duck. Where you feel at home is most likely where you belong. We gravitate to what lures us most and eventually we show up where we belong. A dog is at home in this world because this is the only world a dog will ever live in. We are not at home in this world because we are made for a better one. One other quote by Vance Havner. It's not up here, but I love this quote. He said, I used to say the world was going to the dogs, but I quit out of respect for dogs. He said no dog would ever check into a Holiday Inn and steal the towels. <laughs> this world's going to the dogs. You know why? Because anything goes. There's no restraint. There's no civility. There's no decency. There's no even wanting to have decency. It's just, by the way, there's a new survey that says that every child that gets online, 4% of, every, of all the children that get online are seduced by child abductors. See, the internet can be good, but if you don't have controls on it, it can be bad. Look at this word opportunity or occasion. Don't give it an opportunity or an occasion. Let me tell you what that word is. It's a military term. Paul uses a lot of military terms, it must have been because he spent a lot of time in prisons. It means a base of operation. Or a military installation used as a base from which to launch an attack. Paul says, don't give the flesh a military base to war against God. To war against the best interests of your life. Don't give it uh, an opportunity, a base. Never view your freedom as a base around which you can attack grace well, God's got a God of grace, and God's got a God of forgiveness, and God's got a God of love, so, so I can just do whatever I want. That's, that's giving an opportunity. Even that thought coming into our mind is giving that an opportunity. You don't use your freedom to call up your flesh into active duty. The freedom that we've been given is not so that our flesh can go into active duty. It needs to stay back. First John one five, this is the message that we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say, now what most commentators think is Paul is saying, if we say that somebody is saying that to these believers, and so John writes to them, and says, If we say, and I hear somebody saying this, we have fellowship with him, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, As he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us. What does the grace of God do? It instructs us, it teaches us, it guides us, instructing us. To deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus. Who gave himself now what did he give? Oh, he gave himself to redeem us. That's right. To redeem us from what? Well, from sin. Here's what Paul says from every lawless deed. Acting in our flesh, acting according to our will and our desires and our wants. The way we want to act, when we want to act, without anybody telling us what to do or not to do. To deliver us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. I thought we weren't supposed to do works. I thought we weren't supposed to try to keep the law. Good deeds are a sign that we're being zealous about the right things for the right reasons because we've been redeemed from lawless deeds and the grace of God instructs us that we need to not do those things. So let's look at delighting and walking in love. Verse 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, love your neighbor as yourself. Love is the ultimate expression of God's law and God's love. When I love my neighbor as myself, I am expressing in me and through me the love that God has shown to me. So look at what he says in verse uh, 2. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. You know, when you help somebody in a time of need, when you encourage somebody, when you write a prayer card to someone, when you put your arm on somebody's shoulder and say, hey, you know what, I'm praying for you. When you lift somebody up, when you do some good act of kindness in somebody's life, you know what you're doing? You're bearing one another's burden and you're fulfilling the law of Christ. Well, I just did it because I care for him. Well, you wouldn't care for him if Christ hadn't put his love in your heart. Because the only person you'd care about is yourself. Now, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not. That's a double negative in the Greek. It means you will not know by any means. You will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Verse 25. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by by the Spirit. So there's two words there. We're going to look at them at the end. Two words walk, but I just want you to circle them right now. There's a walk in verse 16 and there's a walk in verse 25 and there are two different words in the Greek and I want you to circle them because we'll come to it at the very end of the message. There are three characteristics of walking in the Spirit. First of all, it is a life of control. It is a life of control. Verses 16 and 17. It's a life of control. You and I have two natures, an old nature and a new nature. Our old nature is so bad and so depraved that God did not try to give it a tune-up. He didn't try to fix it. He didn't try to band-aid it. He said, I'm going to give you a new nature And the war that wars within us, regardless of what terminology you want to do, is between the old man and the new man, between the flesh and the spirit, however you want to use the terminology on that, it is a battle for control. They are two natures that cannot coexist. One has to be in control. And which one is in control determines whether you are walking according to the deeds of the flesh or you are walking according to the Spirit. God did not eradicate the old nature. Now, there are some people that believe in one nature. That's because they haven't read their Bible. They've read read some books by some people, but they haven't read their Bible. There are a lot of people that believe that the old nature is eradicated. If the old nature was eradicated, then you would be nothing more than a robot. Because there wouldn't be a battle, there wouldn't be temptation, there would not be this constant pressure to yield. Why would you have to die daily if there's nothing to die to if it's already gone? I mean, all you got to do is just, the Bible sheds a lot of light on people's theology. Oh, well, it's, you know, I, I, I've got a friend, used to pastor, used to be a pastor, not pastoring anymore. And he and I used to have running arguments about this. Nice arguments, but running arguments. He said, no, no. He said, we're one nature. When he left his wife and his three kids and ran off with another woman, and when he had two affairs on his wife before he ran off with another woman, what I wanted to ask him was, so which, how did that happen if you don't have a sin nature? Something... Rebelled and broke a vow. What do you suppose that was? I think it's his old nature. <laughs> and you know what? Today he probably still believes he's just got one nature. Well, I can tell you this that one nature hadn't repented yet because he's fulfilling the deeds of the flesh, he's miserable. The reason he's miserable is because he has yielded his life to the old man, to the old nature, and he's not walking like a new creation. So Paul says that there's this battle, and we, who we choose to serve, that's when we glorify God. God's not running an old Adam improvement society. Verse 17 For these are in opposition to one another. The flesh and the spirit are in a conflict. Paul's point in Romans 7 is that when we strive to please God, evil is close at hand. And so my greatest enemy is not the devil. My greatest enemy is me, my flesh. And the spirit and flesh are controlling nature. So which one I yield to gains control... And when I yield to my flesh, I render the control of the spirit inoperative in my life. When I yield control to the spirit, I render the control of the flesh inoperative in my life. In other words, one of them's going to take over. Old illustration still works. I got two dogs and they always fight. Which one wins? The one I feed the most. Whichever part of you that you feed the most, that's the side that's winning. If you're feeding your spirit, if you're in the word, if you're praying, if you're walking in obedience, if you're loving God, if you're fulfilling the law of love, then more and more and more your life will be consistent. But if you're playing around the edges, if you're trying to see how much you can get away with, if you're trying to see how far you can go and God doesn't spank you because you've disobeyed him, if you're doing that, that's the dog you're feeding. So the question you have to ask yourself every day is, which part of me am I feeding? Am I feeding the part of me that wants to be satisfied by doing what I want to do? Or am I feeding the part of me that desires to please God above all things? Look at what he says. So that you may not do the things you please. Let me just tell you quickly what that means. So that your flesh will never reach its goal. And its goal is to dominate you and to quench the spirit. Paul says, these are in opposition. Don't let this thing take control of you. Don't let your old man rise up, attain its purpose, dominate your life. It's an issue of control. Secondly, it's evidenced by Christ's likeness. Verse 22, it's evidenced by Christ's likeness. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. <laughs> I love the Bible. <laughs> Let's see. Here's a William over here, and he's exercising peace. And so I said, you can't do that. You, you, can't do it. you can't do that. You can't be kind. Paul says, there's no law against being kind. Well, they don't deserve kindness. Well, neither did you. You exercise self-control, and somebody's just baiting you all the time. You ever had anybody bait you? Just, just I mean, just, they're just trying to get your wrinkles up. I mean, they're just going after you. They just, they just want you to, to go to the tipping point, and you exercise self-control. And I'll say something, you can't be calm in a situation like this. Yeah, I can if I'm walking in the spirit, I can. And if I'm not, I'll jump up on the table and slap you, but you know otherwise, I, I, I can do it because the Spirit of God has empowered me to do it. He says, "This is the fruit, this is the evidence that I am to be a living exhibition of the fruit of the spirit. Now let me tell you just quickly about the fruit of the spirit. The fruit of the spirit is one fruit with nine manifestations. The fruit of the Spirit is love because God is love. And so if God is love, then the fruit of the Spirit is love, and love manifests itself in all these different ways. Let me just give you a couple of things here. First of all, the fruit of the Spirit is the evidence and expression of Christ in our personality. The fruit of the Spirit is the evidence and expression of Christ in our personality. Now, let's just take an example here. Brian and Stephen, I want y'all to come up here. All right, if the fruit of the Spirit is the evidence and expression of Christ in our personality, all right, I've got the spiritual gift of prophet. Your spiritual gift is? Exhortation. Exhortation. Your spiritual gift is? Administration. Administration. Now, let's just take peace. As a prophet, the way I exhibit christ in my personality in the area of peace is going to be different than the way stephen does and it's going to be different than the way brian does okay kindness you know stephen's a guy that hey man hey how you doing brian's the guy that just goes hey good job <laughs> i'm the guy that somebody has to remind me to say it <laughs> When the Holy Spirit... Come in a little closer. When the Holy Spirit is in control of Stephen, and when the Holy Spirit is in control of Brian, and when the Holy Spirit is in control of me, if we are walking in the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit will be manifested through our personalities, which means it will be different, but it will be the same. Does that make sense? In other words... Stephen's not going to respond like I do. God didn't say, now, Stephen, when you're full of the Spirit, act like the pastor. I'm glad he doesn't. He didn't say, Brian, when you're full of Spirit, act like Stephen. He didn't say that. It's all of Jesus working through our personalities. And I guess who made our personalities? That's a question. God made our personalities. Guess whose Spirit lives inside of all three of us? All the, all the, is it the same Spirit? same spirit, three different personalities, but it's always manifesting the spirit of Christ in a different way. Why? Because some people, they see Stephen coming in and they go, yeah, man. Ah, that's great. That's great. And some people, they see Brian going and go, okay. All right. You know, but I could, cause I know when Brian says it, he means it. Some people see me going, come in and they just duck into the ladies room. <laughs> but here's the truth of the matter. The body needs all the expressions of Christ through different personalities. Not only are we different in our personalities, we are different in our giftedness. But we are one in Christ because kindness is kindness. It's just expressed in different ways. What if the only way to express kindness was people who had the gift of administration? Then kindness would be one-dimensional. But when you add all the different gifts of the body together, then kindness becomes multidimensional and it's shown in a thousand different ways through a thousand different people in unique circumstances. And God puts you in a path with people to show the evidence of the fruit of the spirit through your personality, yielded to Christ, under the control of the spirit, through the gifts that God's given you. And then in some way, somehow, somebody in the body is a blessing and an encouragement to you because it's Christ flowing through them. Make sense? So, he's going to show kindness different than me and self-control different than me. Brian's going to show it different than me. I'm going to show it different than them. Does that make any one of the three of us more spiritual than the other one? No. It just makes us different, but with one purpose, and that is to bring together the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Okay? Okay, guys, you pass the test. I'll be kind to you this week. All right. There's nine evidences of fruit. There are three threes, and they work in different directions. First of all, toward God, love, joy, and peace. If the fruit of the Spirit is evident in my life... Now, this is not... Don't think silo here, but I'm just trying to give you a little bit of the way this works. Love, joy, and peace. If I'm filled with the fruit of the Spirit, then love and joy and peace are going to be evidenced in my life, in my relationship with God, toward others, patience, kindness, and goodness. Patience, kindness, and goodness. Now, remember, these are not mutually exclusive, but they're just kind of the ways that you can categorize these nine evidences of the fruit of the Spirit. So toward others, it's patience, kindness, and goodness. Now, let me ask you something. What would happen... If just this week, every professing Christian in America for one week exercised patience, kindness, and goodness. Do you think people would think something's up? They'd probably go, those people are back in the 60s. They're smoking something (laughs) because it's so out of the norm. And then toward myself, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Ever beat yourself up? Ever to just jump out there and then you wish you'd have controlled yourself and not said something or not done something? And so there's this evidence and expression of Christ in our personality. So if I'm walking with God, the Holy Spirit is my law for living and the Word gives me my boundaries. And the Holy Spirit, working through the gifts of the Spirit... Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The Holy Spirit working and manifesting those in my personality. I promise you, you'll never get out of bounds of the word of God if you're acting that way. You have to say, I wonder what Jesus would do in this situation. What would Jesus do? What Jesus would do is this right here. He would exercise the fruit of the spirit because it's the spirit of Christ. Christ that dwells in us so if it's the spirit of Christ that dwells in us then those are the characteristics of Christ you look at the gospels you read the gospels just read what Jesus did he exercised self-control do you know how many times Jesus had to exercise self-control with the self-righteous Pharisees I mean all he had to do one time was turn around to the disciples and say watch this boys and he could have wiped them all out right there. Solved his problem. But he exercised self-control. Think about this. He's on the cross. If you're the son of God, come down. I can. If I come down, I can hurt you. But I'm restraining myself for a higher purpose. And dying for your sin is more important than me proving my point right now. Wow. Only Jesus can do that. And by the way, the only way we can do that is when Jesus is all over us. You know, we'd have revival if we just operated according to the fruit of the Spirit. The deeds of the flesh are obvious. It's a matter of control. And then finally, it's revealed in a cooperative spirit. It's revealed in a cooperative spirit. How does the Spirit control my life? First of all, He does it through me, but I have to cooperate. It's not passive. Okay, Lord, I'm going to sit here. I'm going to put myself in neutral. Now you take over. That's not it. I want you to hold your place in Galatians, and I want you to turn to the book of Philippians. First of all, the flesh has to be crucified. The flesh has to be crucified. Verse 24, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Luke 9, 23, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And then the second one is, I must keep my confessing and repenting current. I must keep my confessing and repenting current. 1 John 1, 9 was not written for lost people. It was written for Christians. You see, we have a tendency to let sin pile up. And then we come down to refresh, and we say, "Oh, I got to get right. It's time. It's refresh. It's time for me to get right." Oh, it's youth camp. You know, it's Thursday night at youth camp. I got to get right. You know, so the guy preaches on Mary had a little lamb, fleece was white as snow, and everywhere that Mary went, the lamb was sure to go. And he said, "I'm so sorry. I've been sinning. I just go get it right." And then they get back and by Monday. It's all over. We let our sins pile up. We need to keep a short sin list and a daily confession. And that's what John is trying to say in in John, verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The word led is a shepherding term. If I'm being led, controlled by the Spirit, I'm not under the law because the Spirit is the law for me. He is the guide. He is the boundary. He's the source in my life. And so I want you to turn to Philippians, chapter 1. Here's what happens to us. We want the Holy Spirit to decide for us don't we? Lord, if you, just, if you just decide, then I don't have to. If you just do it for me, then I, I don't have to do anything. We want the Holy Spirit to decide. We want the Holy Spirit to dictate. And we, we actually want God to force our behavior. You know, we want him to kind of just put us in a small pen and tell us we can't get out. And then when we get mad, we can blame him. I want you to look at what Paul says in Philippians 1, Now, Paul's talking about to live as Christ and to die as gain. Then he comes down to verse 27, and he says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit and with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Uh, look at uh, verse 12 of chapter 2. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, Philippians chapter two, verse 12. Not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. By the way, that's a good word for us. We don't obey just because the preacher's watching, the Sunday school teacher's watching, or mom and dad are watching. We just obey. I'm going to obey until I know I'm, I'm, you know, I'm around the corner and out of sight. Then I'm going to do what I want to do. No. Paul says you obey whether we're there or not. But now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now that sounds confusing. I'm supposed to work out my salvation, but it's God who's at work in me. Well, I'm just going to confuse you a little more. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 29. Colossians 1 verse 29. For this purpose I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. So you look at Colossians one twenty nine. i I'm laboring, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Philippians 2.12. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work, For his good pleasure. Verse 24 of Galatians 5 Now, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I am so confused. What does all that mean? Here's what it means very simply you have heaven's enabler, but you have to make human effort, it's cooperation. I am cooperating with what the Holy Spirit is enabling me to do. He has equipped me and He has enabled me, but I have to make the effort to cooperate. I'm not a robot. I'm not a hand puppet. I have to respond. I labor, I strive according to His power. It's not either or, it's both. The work of God is done in us but it's evidence only when we cooperate with the work of God in us. And so we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because we're supposed to work at our salvation. We're not just, we just don't get this by osmosis. This doesn't come by just sitting around and meditating on our navels. This is work. You have to work at your salvation. It's a discipline. But at the same time, it is God who is at work in you. So what happens? When I'm working on my salvation, God is right there with me. The Holy Spirit is right there with me. And he is enabling me to do what I need to do. Now remember the two words, verse 16 and verse 25, walk and walk. The word in verse 16 of Galatians chapter 5 means just kind of walk around. Just like, you know, just kind of. Hey, just kind of walking around, just kind of going in circles, walking around, check my email, see what else I got to do. Just kind of walking around. <clears throat> the word walk in verse 25 is a military word. And it means to walk in order or to walk in line or to walk with discipline. You know, you can just kind of go walk around them all. It just, it's just that's what you do you don't walk the mall. you walk around the mall you just kind of walk around and, yeah i think i'll just kind of step into this store and see what's in there and then you walk out you walk over here and then, oh there's let's go get a candy bar and so you walk over there and then you kind of you just kind of walk around the mall you ever been to arlington national cemetery at the tomb of the unknown soldier you ever watch that marine walk day or night hot or cold it can be a It can be 20 below. It can be wind blowing 50 miles an hour. It can be a clear day. It doesn't matter. He comes out there and he walks and there's a red carpet and he walks and he steps and you can stand at the end of the line and he never moves, he never wavers, he never takes his eyes off the end and when you watch the changing of the guard there, there is precision and there is order and there is discipline and they walk and guess what? The next guy... may be shorter, taller, he may be black or white, he may be somebody else that's that's new, whatever he is, he picks up and he does the same thing that the guy before him did. Why? Because they're walking in a military order. That's the word that Paul uses here. Paul says, you walk the line that God has laid out for you. You don't get out there and just say, hmm, look, there's some people up there on the steps. I think I'll just go over there and talk to them. You obey your orders, and the orders are to submit to the Spirit and walk in line with the Spirit and thus fulfill the duty and thus fulfill the law of Christ and thus fulfill the law of love. Why? Because you walked according to the path that God laid out for you. You can walk around and never get anywhere. But when you walk that line at Arlington and you walk on that carpet and that person walks that, and it is a privilege and an honor to do that. When that person walks that and they have fulfilled that duty, their mission for that day has been accomplished. Our job is to report for duty every day. To walk the path that God has clearly outlined for us. And at the end of the day, to be able to salute our commander-in-chief and say, Mission accomplished. I walked the way you told me to walk, the way you laid it out for me to walk, according to the path that you wanted me to walk on, and I did not waver no matter what circumstances were going on around me. Now... I've been there when there have been all kinds of people there, and I've been there when there have been 500 young people there at uh, SOU 201. And you can watch 500 teenagers get around there, and they all sit around on steps. It's just, yeah, 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 until they realize where they are. And then all of a sudden, it gets real quiet, and there's real honor, and there's real respect, because walking up there they just think it's just marble but when you see the discipline and when you see the commitment and when you see the honor that is given to that unknown soldier you begin to quiet down and realize that a price has been paid by people you will never know so that you can have the freedom To walk around. Difference is there's a price that's been paid by one who we know who has given us the freedom to walk around but with purpose because we are on a mission for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church and Pastor Michael Kett. For more information about Sherwood, you can visit our website at SherwoodBaptist.net. If you live or visit in the Albany area, we invite you to worship with us here at Sherwood. Thanks again for listening, and have a great day.